a Catholic should be thinking, what do I want out of marriage? I think God is calling me to marriage. What do I ideally want out of marriage? And one easy way to think that through is to think, what do I want my Sunday morning to look like? Uh, three years, five years after marriage, what do I want Sunday morning to look like? Welcome back to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. I'm Adam Minahan. Last week, we uh, I gave a shout out to John, who uh, posted a uh, review oh, right. On, right. Our, on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Also, we gave a shout out to my son, John. Yeah. But uh, That's it. But uh, um, I gave a shout out to him. I want to give another shout out to, uh, now I may pronounce this wrong, so I apologize ahead of time, but I think her, her name is uh, Golgi Bella, I think is her name. Okay. And she, she gave a comment on YouTube when we were talking about cohabitation mm. a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. And she said... I suppose I'd never thought about cohabitation in that way, either directly or indirectly, not placing Jesus as the main focus in the relationship. Right. Which when I when she commented, I was like, I'm, I'm so glad she commented because like this is the yeah. purpose of, of of our conversations, right? Is right uh, to bring these, you know, the the truth of of what the church teaches, right, to those of Eastern Oklahoma. Yeah, we said some some weeks ago. We said. Um, that if I have a list of the top 10 most important things in my life and Jesus is number one on the list, that's mm-hmm. that's wrong. Because Jesus is not one thing among other things on a list. Jesus is the whole life. Mm-hmm. Then there are 10 important things assuming Jesus. In other words, Jesus right. is assumed. And if you think about that, uh, again, it, it goes to what we've been saying about marriage preparation starting at birth. A person who has such a relationship with the risen Lord that everything in their life is run through that lens and through that relationship, and everything they take as being true and important is coming from Jesus and what he is teaching us, both in the scriptures, through the church, through her teaching, her tradition— through her liturgy, now we're talking about marriage, through her liturgy, uh, then things like cohabitation are going to be easy to say, well, no, why would it's we not, do that? It's well, an option. Yeah, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help us draw closer to Jesus. That would put us in a, a terrible uh, place of temptation. It would make it harder for us to follow Jesus. So we're not going to do that. So yeah. yes, it's yeah. it's wonderful uh, if people are learning from that conversation that everything is run through that relationship. Our lives become much easier. That's right. In a sense, it, yes. Uh, so I, I highly recommend you guys going and rate and review the podcast. Uh, leave us a comment. Maybe we'll uh, we'll say it, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. Now. Last week, at the end of last week's exciting episode... Where we left it at a cliffhanger. We we left this engaged couple tied to the railroad tracks (laughs) with the train coming. (laughs) But don't worry, we're going to save you. We're we're not going to... We won't be that mean. We'll we'll actually go through what we're talking about. It goes to that joke I've said before. I've I've done marriage preparation with hundreds of couples because I was in campus ministry a long time. Um... And I was successful four times. 
and all the rest got married. <laughs> it's so it's simply a way of of reminding ourselves that all vocations that set out to follow the Lord carry the cross. Mm-hmm. That was what he promised us. But he also promised us that his burden is easy, his his uh, way is light, and so we're happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we left off last time with this couple who had. We were talking about the the remote marriage preparation. Then we got to the proximate marriage preparation. Now we've got a couple who's engaged, wanting to know what's the next step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were saying that the best thing for them at this point is to have a clear understanding of what is the importance of marriage in the church, what is the vision, what is the point of it? Uh, And we were saying that the couple, the the best thing for them to understand at this point is the desire in their hearts, the need, to give the sacrament to each other, to invite Jesus into their life and love together, into their future, by giving the sacrament of marriage to each other. That's going to guide everything else that happens in this proximate uh, marriage preparation time in terms of the marriage preparation itself. And that's also going to motivate the couple to be genuinely curious and interested to know, what does Jesus want to teach us now? Mm -hmm. We have reached this stage of our life where we're engaged. We're engaged around the idea of marrying each other in him, mm-hmm. which is a very different thing than just getting married. Right. And since we're planning to do that, he loves us. He is our master. What is he going to teach us about ourselves? What is he going to teach us about our life and future together? Uh, are we willing to open our lives and our relationship up to him and hear him say, here's what I see? Right. Here's what I want you to learn, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, all of that can happen in the marriage preparation process, the, quote, six months right. uh, before the wedding, but it all has to do with the couple because you get out of it what you put into it. That's something we were sure. saying last time. Right, okay. Right. Now, first we can talk about uh, the six months, Six months is a guideline. Uh, I think we we listed on our premarital inventory. Let me see if we even list that here. Most uh, most dioceses, it's even listed here. It's on the um, often in the bulletin. It says, you know, for couples who desire marriage, please allow at least six months uh, for for the marriage preparation. That six months is a bare minimum, right? In a sense, almost assuming that you've had that marriage prep. From the very beginning. It does like we, It does assume that, because yeah. as we'll see as we go through these elements, uh, if, you, if there hasn't been that marriage preparation from the beginning, it may well take longer than six months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked before about cohabitation. Well, that's one example of something that can cause it to take longer than six months. If a couple comes to the church's minister... They're living together before marriage. They want to get married in six months. They don't see that there's anything wrong with their living together before marriage. They may not be ready for marriage yet as the church understands marriage. Mm -hmm. And it may take longer to help them understand why this is actually a problem, not for the church, but for them. Right. 
how it could cause problems in their future marriage and why it would be important to first establish a free uh, relationship again as they had before they moved in together. So that's just one example. Uh, the church's desire and hope in all of this is to be a facilitator for the couple of this kind of uh, learning and formation so that by the time they approach the altar, they are in fact capable of giving the sacrament to each other because it is possible to be at the altar and not actually be free mm -hmm. or not actually be informed, not really understand what marriage is. One of the reasons that sometimes a marriage is declared null uh, after a divorce is because it is discovered that actually in the mind of one or the other of the couple, their understanding of what marriage is and what it requires was actually erroneous. Right. And so they weren't really able to give the sacrament to each other. Yeah, this goes uh, back to what Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, right? Like, it takes three to get married. It does take three to get married. And God has to be uh, seen as an active partner, right? Right. So that's the church wants to facilitate a, a um, valid and true and beautiful uh, mm -hmm. marriage and wedding. So the church needs the couple to not yet, when they first come, mm -hmm. to not yet be so focused on the wedding. When can we get the date of the wedding? And can we get the time of the wedding we want? And all of those things. But more on, okay, we need to grow some more. So what can we do to grow some more? Along the way, we're also talking about the wedding ceremony and the planning and so forth. Um so this is the maturation of the relationship together. Right. Yeah. It's the okay. it's another stage. It's not the final stage, right? right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now it is the case that all of us are growing in our relationship with the Lord at all times. No one is ever complete. There are no plateaus in the Christian life where we get to stop and this is as yeah. far as we no go. neutral, right? It, no neutral. Yeah. Okay. And so it is possible, and it does, uh, does regularly happen, that a couple comes to the church's minister and they haven't been uh, living the faith actively for the last little while. Uh, perhaps they grew up in the Catholic Church, but uh, perhaps in college they sort of drifted away and they haven't really been practicing the faith. Now they're coming back to the church wanting to get married but the level of their catechesis, their catechetical knowledge, the level of their formation as disciples may be relatively low. And so there is a sense in which there's kind of some remedial work in a, in a sense to do. That's not a critique. That's simply an observation. Marriage does require a certain level of maturity and ability to think with the mind of the church and to live as a, a full member in the church. And if that's not there yet, then we simply need to get there. Right. And there are ways to help a couple get there. But that's what, what sometimes happens, though, is, and what is sometimes caused by that is uh, complications in a marriage preparation, which I'll give you an example. A couple who comes to the church's minister, and what they want is to get married on the beach in Hawaii uh, with the family and friends there. And dolphins in the background and all the and, and some, <laughs> sand castles. Yeah, some special this. thing, what, what is typically called destination wedding. Mm -hmm. 
and they can't understand why the church's minister is balking at that, is, yeah. is trying to put the brakes on that, is trying to redirect them to think of this in a different way. What they're thinking is, okay, look, just tell me what hoops I need to jump through to make this happen. Mm-hmm. What the church's minister is thinking is they're not at a state, they're not at a at a stage of formation in which they're ready to give the sacrament to each other. One of the signs of that is that if they were, they wouldn't be coming with with this kind of request because part of our understanding of marriage as a sacrament is that ideally it should happen in the place where sacraments happen, a sacred space, the Mm -hmm. sacred space of the church. And ideally it involves the community of faith that the couple is a part of. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not a requirement per se. In other words, uh, again, because I was in campus ministry, Many couples wanted to get married at the university chapel where they went to mass every Sunday as a college student. Mm -hmm. All of that is perfectly understandable and easy to arrange and so forth. But they didn't want to get married on the beach, you see, because they understood, I want to be married in a sacred space, and the church was, that particular uh, church was a sacred space important to them. But it does involve the community of faith. Uh, sometimes the couple will say, well, the outdoors or the beaches is, is where I find God. Yes, but that's not the place for the sacrament. The sacrament happens in the sacred space of the church. And to not see a difference between those things is a demonstration of a certain lack of maturity, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps, on the part of the couple. Um so, but we're going to assume that the couple is coming to the church, they have the right frame of mind, mm-hmm. they understand what the church is trying to help them do. Uh, if they're not in that right frame of mind, they're open to growing. Right. They, they understand, okay, look, we haven't been practicing our faith, so we understand that there's some things we need to learn and do. Help us do that. Right. We're ready to do that. Uh, off we go. One thing, one thing that uh, I, I, a good priest here in the diocese, I think, encouraged me to do as we were as we were prepping for marriage. Haley and I were. He kind of pulled me aside, and I think he was just trying to gauge, you know, what my level of maturity in, in faith was, which is great. I mean, that that's sure. what he's supposed to be doing. And he said, uh, "Are you ready to marry her?" And I said, "Yeah, I am." He goes, "Well, are you fasting for her?" <laughs> and at that time, I was like. Uh n- no, I'm not, I'm not I'm not fasting for her. He goes, well, you're saying you're gonna you're gonna lay down your life for this woman for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You may want to start practicing. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And so he said, like, if you want, you know, a good practice is to pick a day, one day a week, mm-hmm. and as you're going through this formation process, pick one day and fast for her. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such great advice, you know, sure. like, you know, to to get ready to, I mean, you're going to be calling to marriage, you're laying down your life for this person. Right. Um, so if you can't say no to the small things in life, like uh, sugar, food, what you know, drink, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you can't say no to those things, right? Uh, you're not going to be able to say no to the bigger things, namely, you know, 
somebody else. The 3 a.m. crying baby. The 3 a.m. crying baby. <laughs> I mean, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically yeah. speaking, <laughs> if there ever were one. Right, yeah. <laughs> but but the point that's made there is a good one. It's a, it's a training of the mind. Mm-hmm. It's a rooting of life in Christ, a remembrance that there is the cross. I've seen a meme online uh, in... Slovenia or somewhere like that, where couples at their wedding are given a big crucifix, and right. they hold the crucifix during some part of the ceremony, and it is that reminder that we're marrying not because we require that everything go well for us, mm-hmm. we hope for that, but we're marrying because we need Christ and we know that everything might not go well, right. and we need our Lord. So the man or woman who can say, I'm going to fast for my spouse this day, Mm -hmm. and then experiences the difficulty of doing that and says in in their mind and heart, but I love this person and so I'm going to do it. It's worth it. Then when the 3 a.m. crying baby happens, it's it's a a training, a preparation, a practice for that. Yeah. Uh, similarly, the marriage preparation process itself can be seen as a, an investment mm-hmm. uh, into what we're going to be doing in our life together as a married couple. So uh, what does the process itself look like? Okay, it, it does generally begin with coming to the church as minister, mm-hmm. uh, recognizing that we want to have at least six months. I would say really give yourself a year. Don't try to rush things. And then one of the first things the church's minister is going to do with the couple is lead them through what's called a prenuptial investigation. Oh, boy, that sounds scary, right? Yeah. A prenuptial investigation. Well, again, remember, it has to do with the sacrament. And sacraments are not magic, but they're they're real things. Uh, And... In the sacrament of marriage, the couple is going to give the sacrament to each other, so they have to be able to do that. This is a prenuptial investigation form that we use here in the diocese here, and it has very common things, mm-hmm. uh, name, uh, address, place of birth, uh, you know, age, uh, all of that, father's name and religion, mother's name and religion, uh, date of the marriage, uh, is this marriage a convalidation or not? Sometimes a couple gets married civilly for various reasons and then later comes to the church to have the sacrament of marriage. That would be called a convalidation. Okay. Um, and then there's a number of questions in here that are kind of interesting. And I think that a lot of couples on hearing them the first time are wondering, where is this coming from? What is this all about? <laughs> But, uh, you know, the questions that are asked, have you been married previously? We're talking again about the freedom of marriage. Someone who's been married before, but who has not had a declaration of nullity, which may or may not be able to be had, but the marriage has not been declared null, that person is still bound to that previous marriage. Whether they're together or not. Right. Whether there was a civil divorce or not does not affect the bond of marriage. And so 
if they've been married previously, they may not be able to be married at this time. Then the church's minister will work with them to see, is the marriage, the previous marriage, is it able to be declared null? And again, we'll do a future episode on what that means and doesn't mean and all of that. Uh, if it's able to be declared null, then they would be able to move forward, presumably. Uh, one question is, are you married now? Again, we need to know if they're married now because... I think that if they said yes, that would be a pretty big shock. If, 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 if you haven't had a conversation with your future spouse and you realize, oh, you're married now, like it's a good thing that the, that uh, question is asked. Well, but look how it could happen. A person who was married received a civil divorce, mm-hmm. uh, is not married now in their mind. Right. They may not understand the language of bound to the previous marriage. In the, If they're thinking from the, the perspective of the, the uh, society that we live in, where there is such a thing as civil marriage and civil divorce, then to have been married and civilly divorced, I'm not married. Right. Okay. But yep. the church has a different perspective. Now... Let's just say one thing about that before, and we'll get into it in the other episode, because <laughs> it is a big, complicated subject. Right. But, but one, a simple way of understanding why is that matter and where does that come from? What are they hoping for now as they're going through this? The couple coming to do this believes that there is such a thing as a once and for all, till death do us part relationship that's called marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, that means if such a thing exists, once I've done it, then I'm in it once and for all to death do us part. If it breaks up later, uh, which again, these are tragic circumstances that are terribly painful for couples to go through, uh, and the church has only sympathy for them and wants to assist them. But if it breaks up later, and yet it was the kind of relationship that is till death do us part, then it is still till death do us part. Mm -hmm. But what the divorce does do is it presents a question to the couple, not really to the church so much as to the couple. The question is this, I was married before, I'm not married now. Was the marriage that I had before a valid marriage? Was it real? Did it actually happen? Right. Because if it didn't, even though we attempted it to make it such, if it didn't, then I'm free to marry now. What might that be? Let's think of a a textbook kind of example. Joe and Sally meet each other. They uh, fall in love with each other. I hate that term anyway, but we talked about that. Right, right, right. Okay. They come to love each other. (laughs) They get married in their Catholic church. They have a big... Um, reception after the marriage, everyone is there. There's a polka band, there's a keg. I mean, it's a marriage. Polka band. <laughs> it's a Catholic marriage. Okay. As far as anyone knows, it's a valid Catholic marriage. Joe is a salesman. He works across the country uh, three months out of the year. Uh-huh. And, and Joe and Sally begin a life together. They have five children together before Sally discovers that the reason he works across the country three months out of the year is because he has another family already over there. Oh, he already was married. He didn't tell her. 
Now she has a doubt about the vows they exchanged on the day of their wedding. And she wonders, was he, could he give vows that he knew were false? And the church would agree with her. In fact, he cannot do that. So what looked like a valid marriage, mm-hmm. as far as anyone knows, for all these years it was a valid marriage, now is demonstrated through this investigation that would happen, the, the process of a declaration of nullity, to not have been valid on the day of the wedding. Therefore, it's not a, a, a relationship that binds them mm-hmm. to each other. So then... Uh, presumably Sally could marry again if she wants. Okay, could marry for the first time. Well, yeah, marry, it, right. Yeah. Yeah, it okay. never took place. Okay, so that's what all of that has to do with. Um, there's a question here about obligations to a previous spouse or children. Well, naturally, if I was married, the marriage sadly ended in divorce. It was declared null I may yet have a family that I'm bound to take care of. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for the couple to understand that together. Um, And then there's a question here, this curious question. Do you know of any circumstance that would make the marriage you are planning unlawful against the law of the church? And here's a few in parentheses uh, things that could make it unlawful. Consanguinity. That has to do with being too close together in blood relationship, cousins, for example. Affinity, I forget what that one refers to. I'll have to look look that up. Sacred orders, someone who was a priest or a deacon before is not free. Unless they've been laicized and given permission, they would not be free. Religious profession, the same. Um, Um... Impotence is one that's listed here. Um, Impotence is not the same as infertile, infertility. A man might be infertile, but still be able to perform the marital act. If he can perform the marital act, he can... uh, He can... um, Like consummate the marriage. Consummate. Consummate the marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, the marriage can go forward. Okay, so those are some examples of that. Um, Are there any mental or emotional difficulties with either of the spouses? If a person is not in a free and clear frame of mind, they may not be able to give the sacrament. Um, Are they giving their consent to the marriage freely? That's a really, really key question. There can't be any you know, crossing my fingers, holding my hand yeah. behind my back. Yeah, April Fool's There thing. can't be any mental reservations. I'm going to marry this person, but if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll always just bail out, that kind of thing. Uh, if Which is the importance of uh, rightly ordered dating. Right. Exactly. Right? I mean, that goes back to what we've been talking about earlier. Is like you can't – that's why it's not really healthy to – take monogamous early relationships because you can always bail out of those right yeah. as, a, as a young kid yeah and and I've seen that described as serial monogamy serial monogamy that's a such a curious term it 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 talks about a person who enters say from maybe their teen years let's say they're 14 15 years old mm-hmm. one long-term monogamous relationship after another mm-hmm 
Now, what happens at the end of such relationships? They're typically painful. Right. Uh, typically, yeah. it's painful. There's a breakup. Um, when I've gone through one or two or three of those, I start wanting to anticipate that breakup because it hurts less if I'm the one who breaks it up. Right. Okay. So what I'm learning is to look for signs that there may be trouble. Yeah. And Outs. then to start thinking, let me get out of this. Right. What is that training me to do? Right. Looking, <laughs> looking for outs to get yeah. out of it. Yeah. It's not training me to be married because when I'm married, I'm not thinking about any outs. I'm thinking, oh, there's a problem here. Let's work on this. Right. Because we're married. We're going to stay married. And if we don't work on this, it's going to... Uh, cause problems for us. Right. Right. There's a question here for minors. Do the parents object to the marriage? We don't see that much now, mm -hmm. uh, but still there. And then to, to a question, if the couple understands the nature and the obligations of marriage, do they understand and are they making without any conditions or reservations, do they understand to enter a marriage that is for life to give their spouse the right to have children. I can want to have children, mm -hmm. but if my spouse is unwilling to allow that, or if we have not discussed, how are we going to decide when, how many children to have, um, then that's going to cause problems, no doubt, later. To accept the obligation of being faithful. It seems like a... How could anyone not know that? Right. But sometimes a person does not understand that it means being faithful all the time till death do us part, not, right. not most of the time and not when things are going well. So those are some of the things that are involved in the prenuptial questionnaire. You can see that it is a, it is a minimal, bare-bones thing. Right. If a couple only has this right. and has it sort of begrudgingly almost, right. then that's, gonna, that's not going to be a strong foundation for a marriage. It might be a valid marriage, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be a strong foundation for a marriage. What we want is a couple to be thinking as they hear these questions, well, of course. Yeah. Why are you asking me that? Of course, of course. Right. Because their relationship with the Lord is such that because of that relationship, they are agreeing to all these things mm -hmm. and are planning uh, to live all these things because that's what my relationship with the Lord would require. Right. So that's that one form. And hopefully it kind of maybe opens up uh, conversations that yes. maybe need to, need to take place before. It's always better to have those conversations before you say, I do. It does. It does sometimes uh, cause conversations. Yeah. Now, the, a lot of the things in the marriage preparation process are designed to do that. Right. To to uh, sort of prick uh, a couple into having conversations, even about things they haven't thought of, mm -hmm. or about things they've thought of they just didn't want to discuss, or they just assumed, oh yeah, this is how it's going to. This is how my family did it, so I'm assuming this is just how we're going to do it. Yeah, there has to be a lot of talk about what our families did or didn't do. Right. Uh, in addition to this, this is what you might call an administrative uh, kind of thing. It okay. also talks about, uh, helps a couple to think through and then to have some conversation around, if my spouse is not Catholic, mm 
Mm. Uh, sometimes, actually, these days quite regularly, a Catholic person marries someone who's not Catholic. I used to shock the students at A&M. Sometimes they would an- ask me, should a Catholic marry someone who's not Catholic? And I would say, no. <laughs> and they would just be so shocked and scandalized by that. But then I would explain a little bit because I wanted to shock them just to get their attention. <laughs> but then I would explain a little bit what I mean by that. And what I meant by that was a Catholic should be thinking, as based on what we've been saying, Right. A Catholic should be thinking, what do I want out of marriage? I think God is calling me to marriage. What do I ideally want out of marriage? And one easy way to think that through is to think, what do I want my Sunday morning to look like? Uh, Three years, five years after marriage, what do I want Sunday morning to look like? Ideally, a Catholic would want Sunday morning to look something like this, three in the morning crying babe. No, just kidding. (laughs) They would well, want... let me tell you, it's not easy like Sunday morning, like Lionel <laughs> Richie used to say. You know, that that is not the case. <laughs> That's right. Not always. Um, but in general, I want to wake up with my spouse. I want to uh, have all my children come and kiss me on the forehead and bring me breakfast in bed. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, that I'm happens, sure that every happens all the time. <laughs> no, I want to get up. I want to be thinking with my spouse about Mass. Right. I want to be going to Mass with the children. Uh, I want to be coming home. I want to be spending a restful day, etc. Okay. Whatever all those things are, mm-hmm. all of those things are free to be had. Mm-hmm. Any Catholic can have them as they want them, mm-hmm. but not necessarily with someone who's not Catholic. Mm-hmm. And the point I was trying to get them to think about and to the point I was trying to make was... You're free to date whoever you want. Date who you want to marry. Date based on how you want your marriage to be. Don't, quote, fall in love with whoever you happen to fall in love with. Now, obviously that does happen. Mm -hmm. None of this is a critique of someone who doesn't marry a Catholic. That's not the point. The point is that it's even unfair to the the non-Catholic spouse for the Catholic to sort of uh, enter into a relationship with them that requires them to give a lot Mm -hmm. in a way that the Catholic is not able to reciprocate. Is that really fair to them? Now, of course, ideally, a Catholic marries someone, if a Catholic marries someone who's not Catholic, the person who's not Catholic is doing so completely... Uh, full of the knowledge that my Catholic spouse is going to live a Catholic life, and part of living a Catholic life is they're going to want our children to be baptized and raised as Catholics, and I'm completely okay with that. In fact, I'm thinking about becoming Catholic myself. Right. Okay. All of that is wonderful, but none of that can be assumed. Right. And it's definitely unfair for a Catholic to assume at the start of a dating relationship with mm-hmm. someone who's not Catholic, well, they'll just, they'll do all that. They'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. How is that fair to them? Right. That's not fair to them. So those things ought to be thought about as I'm starting the dating relationship. That's mm-hmm. why all that conversation we had before is so important. Mm-hmm. But there's a question here for precisely for mixed marriages. Uh, here's the question. <clears throat> 
and it's asked of the Catholic partner. Mm -hmm. The non-Catholic partner needs to know about it, but doesn't have to, to agree to it. I reaffirm my faith in Jesus Christ, and with God's help, I intend to continue living that faith in the Catholic Church. I promise to do all in my power to share the faith I have received with our children by having them baptized and reared as Catholics. I acknowledge the respect I owe to the conscience of my partner in marriage. Uh, then the, the Catholic party signs this and the priest signs it. And the non-Catholic partner is aware of it. Okay. But if the non-Catholic partner doesn't agree with it, mm -hmm. see, we've gone all this way, right? we've entered an engagement, but we're not able to agree on that. Mm -hmm. That already presents a, a weakness point, a right. sticking point in the relationship. It already presents a complication for how are we going to raise the children, how are we going to teach them about who Jesus is, what the church is, how right. all this works. So that's why it's so important to think all that through together. It's not to say, <clears throat> it's not to say that it can't be worked out. Right. It, it's a lot easier though when there's no kids involved. Right. When you know when you're not four or five, six years into marriage. Right. Um, it's much easier to have those conversations now. Oh yeah, has to be now. Right. Uh, and then. You know, until a child is born, so what sometimes happens is a Catholic thinks this is relatively easy. I'll go to Mass and he, he'll go to his church or right. whatever. But then we're apart on Sunday morning. Is that the best thing for the marriage? But what often happens is when the child does come, that first child, mm -hmm. suddenly if the Catholic is suddenly thinking, oh, wow, this is, <laughs> this is really important. I need to raise this child child needs to be baptized, and so forth. I certainly have worked with couples for whom that was a big problem. Right. It's, and, it's, and it's important for the child to see that their mom and their dad are taking their faith seriously. This isn't, right. a one, this isn't just a mom thing, or this isn't just a dad thing, right. but this is a mom and dad. This is a family thing. Right. And as I say, this is not a critique. This right. is not to say that uh, couples who uh, do this and make it work well... It's not it's a, heroic, actually, for those who right. uh, uh, do make it work, because that's there's a lot of effort and intentionality involved. Right. And it's a recognition that even if I didn't set out to marry someone who was not Catholic and circumstances simply happened such that I did, mm -hmm. that does happen. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that I've done something wrong. Right. But it is to say that if I'm thinking about all of this ahead of time, which is what I ought to be doing. Right then there are some things that I can control mm -hmm. uh, to some degree, and so those things I ought to. The, 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 um, the other things that happen, are, as I say, are various kinds of formation programs. One of them is called the Focus Premarital Inventory. Mm -hmm. I use this one a lot. There's a couple of different kinds of premarital inventories, and sometimes people call them mistakenly, mm -hmm. compatibility tests. And it's because uh -huh. they seem a little bit like compatibility tests, but that's not what they actually are. What they actually are are ways for a couple to think ahead 
and to cover a whole range of questions and conversations that they wouldn't necessarily have thought of themselves until later, but to be able to talk about all those things now to do what? To strengthen them, mm -hmm. which is the point of marriage preparation. Yeah. So let me read a couple of these sort of sample questions. Okay. Um, for all of these questions, a couple is going to mark on a scorecard, agree, disagree, undecided. They're going to each fill out their own scorecard. By themselves? By themselves. Okay. Then they're going to come together. There's a way to put those answers together, and it shows them the things they already agree on. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Put those to the side. It shows them the things they clearly disagree on. That's important to talk about. <laughs> but just as important. It shows them the things that they're undecided about. Mm -hmm. That also needs to be talked about. Okay. Uh, here's a question. We've discussed the expectations each of us has as to our role as husband and wife. Well, there's a lot there. There's it, a lot there. In that one question, yeah. Uh, if they, you know, presumably uh, they're going to mark that as agree. Presumably. They've right. talked about that. Okay, if they haven't talked about that, boy, what an important question. Yeah, yeah, the founda founda like foundational question. Yeah, what an important question to know. What does my partner think a wife ought to be and do? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a wife? I need to know that because I'm going to be the wife. Right. <laughs> or, or the husband, right? Uh, here's a, a one that, that always elicited conversation. There are certain behaviors or habits in my future spouse that sometimes annoy me. <laughs> That's going to sound like a game. Like show. it's like it's a trap. It's a, it's trap. a trap. Yeah, yeah. Bail out, bail yeah. out. It's too late. Um, if I mark that agree, uh -huh. wow. Am I paying attention? Right. Is it possible that that two people don't have anything that annoys them about each other? What's more likely is that if I mark it agree, we're not being honest with each other, right? Right. So we need to be able to talk about such things. Here's here's one that ha that points out the the need to understand and discuss family of origin issues, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We have discussed the ways our family solved problems and how this may affect our problem solving. It will affect our problem solving. Absolutely. What I witnessed my parents do, if they screamed and hollered and that's how they solve problems, I'm likely to be very either very averse mm -hmm. of that, and thus I won't deal with problems, or I may scream and holler. Right. Uh, if I haven't somehow had an opportunity to learn from that and to overcome that as a way of doing it and learn a proper way of solving problems, then I'm likely to be carrying some wounds from that. Mm -hmm. And I need to understand that, and my spouse needs to understand that. Um, my future spouse and I are open to having children. Okay, yeah. Both need to be, but they ought to talk about how many, sure. even. even. Yeah. Now, it's not to say we're going to have that many. Right. But it's to say, do I want a large family or not? Mm -hmm. If not, why not? And if if so, why so? And so forth. Um, let's see here. Um, my future spouse and I can talk candidly about our sexual intimacy in marriage. The, they 
presumably, I mean, ideally, they have not engaged in a sexual relationship yet. Sure. And so that might be a little bit... Um, well, it's uncomfortable, right? Yeah, be, uncomfortable be, to talk about. Sure. But they ought to talk about that. Uh, and so <laughs> this question, I, I sometimes feel that this may not be the right person for me to marry. <laughs> Again, it seems like a, a trick or a trap question. Yeah. But it, remember how they're marking it, agree, disagree, undecided. If there's ever any time I felt like, gosh, this is, am I really doing the right thing here? I need to be able to say that to the person so that we can talk about why. Right. Because if this is the right person to marry, I owe it to them for them to know that sometimes I think when this happens that we may not be cut out for each other. Okay, let's deal with that. Yeah, let's peel back the layers. Let's let's let, let's talk about it. Let's Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, that's so that's an example of one kind of a, of a marriage preparation, quote, program mm -hmm. uh, that couples can benefit from mightily. Another one that is often used is something called a uh, mentor couple. Many mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. types of programs deal with mentor couples. So the engaged couple is going to visit with and have specific conversations um, with a couple who's been married for some number of years because of course we want to talk to people who are already further Had down the trail yeah right, right, right who yeah. can tell us about that uh, in our diocese here and in many dioceses we use an engaged encounter retreat groups of engaged couples coming together with a number of married couples and a pastor or priest minister to spend a weekend on a retreat talking about different kinds of questions and then um one of the things that often is a part of marriage preparation, an important part, is what comes under the general heading of natural family planning mm -hmm. or um, fertility care. And, and this is such an important thing because contraception is simply an assumption in the world that we live in. It's just assumed that that's the right. only and the best and the right way. But yeah, the, God, do the doctors, when they when you go in there and they're saying like, so what kind of uh, birth control are you on? Like they, it's not a are you on birth control. It's, it's which type of birth control right. are you on? It's, it's, it's an assumption. Yeah. Uh, but what what the church understands is that God created us uh, both a to have children in marriage. Children are a blessing in marriage. Uh, B to be responsible stewards over our own fertility. So it doesn't mean we simply have every baby that comes, no matter how many comes, and we don't give that a thought. We just right. keep tr having children no matter what. We don't even think about whether this is the best time or the uh, can we really raise another child, etc. cetera. Uh, and that we use contraception to control that. Right. But God is not made the human person in such a way that they have to use contraception. Mm -hmm. It's not necessary to use contraception. We have much better uh, methods of uh, planning the number of children that we may have or when we may have them. All of them go under the, the title of fertility care or natural family planning or all those kinds of things. We can do a whole episode on that. Sometime. That would be another. Good, that would be a really good episode. We're, we're working very hard in the diocese of expanding the um, avenues that we have for natural family planning, mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
Yeah, if you have any questions, you can uh, call up to the chancery and ask for Audrey Stubblefield. Audrey Stubblefield. Uh, she'd be yeah. happy to help you and kind of assist and answer any questions that you may you may have. But then naturally it's a part of marriage preparation because they're getting married to raise a family, right? Right. Uh, so those are some of the kinds of programs. What one gains from seeing just a few of the programs is this is a time of formation and growth. Mm -hmm. It's a time of learning new things about ourselves and as individuals and about ourselves as a couple, learning how to pray together. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, a, that's an important part of the, the marriage is not that we each pray. But you pray together. That's important. Yes, we should pray. But learning how to pray together mm -hmm. uh, as a couple, what works for us in that? Uh, there's an intimacy involved there that I think is every bit as intimate as the sexual relationship. How do I share with my spouse the intimate details of my relationship with God? And how do I uh, learn from them so that we can do that together? I'm making a note because I'd like to do another <laughs> a topic on Another that. episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I know someone who wrote a whole book on, on that. <laughs> right? It would be a lot of fun to, to, to talk about that, yeah. So... We're, we're probably running out of time again, but yep. um, we can talk more about the ceremony next time. Sure. So. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately, all of this is the reason why is because the church wants to see you, uh, you know, have a successful and holy marriage, right? They that's want, what the church is about. That's why they, they want you to be a holy, you know, and raise a holy family and have a good uh, family unit because as the family goes, so does the society, as, as, as John Paul The church and the society, exactly. So, yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tulsa Time. Be sure to rate and review our, our podcast. We may give you a shout out next week. Uh, we'll see you then. Follow and subscribe in your podcast app for updates and notifications when new content is released. And thank you for listening. Together, our faith goes further.